irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. The mission of my podcast is that we are changing consciousness one conversation at a time. And I'd love to connect with you as my listener. Please reach out and join my email list or even send me an email. If you'd like to be a guest on this show, I have interviewed many people because you have reached out, and I I really appreciate that. Find me at nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy. And I would love to work with you as your intuitive professional. And uh, just today, I released a package, a brand new package to work with you to learn all about the psychoastrology of Chiron. We meet two sessions a week by phone for four weeks, really delving deeply into this placement and your astrological chart, which causes unwanted and repeated patterns of 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 depression, anxiety, unwanted things. And I offer you affirmations. I offer you takeaway points and a guided sound bath meditation. All of this is in correlation to the book, my book, The Psychoastrology of Chiron, which is coming out in the beginning of 2020, I am happy to be able to say. And I want to thank you for your continued support. Those of you that are subscribed on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and my YouTube channel, NOLA Therapy. Please keep subscribing and sharing and rating my podcast so that more people are reached with these messages of well-being and health. And follow me on social media. I am at NOLA Therapy on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And if you enjoy my work, I invite you to support me through the crowdfunding campaign that I have with Patreon. And you can learn more about that if you go to patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. So talking about changing consciousness, one conversation at a time. My guest who I have with me today, Dr. Arwen Podesta is one such woman. She is the founder and owner of podestawellness.com. If you want to follow along, she is a board certified adult psychiatrist with subspecialties in addiction medicine, forensic psychiatry, integrative and holistic medicine. And at Podesta Wellness, her and her staff believe and emphasize whole wellness, that's W-H-O-L-E, wellness, by utilizing evidence-based therapies, including medication and psychotherapy, which we would expect. In addition, Dr. Podesta utilizes massage, acupuncture, nutrition, lifestyle, and behavior modification, and she'll even bring in the support system of extended family and friends when necessary to help support her patients. Uh, Dr. Podesta is also clinical faculty member at both Tulane and LSU universities. She is the president of the Louisiana chapter of American Society of Addiction Medicine, 
And she has been the medical director of quite a few addiction treatment facilities, including Odyssey House and Townsend Addiction Clinic here in New Orleans. She comes from Los Angeles and had a practice there. We're going to talk some about how her past influences what she's doing today. And in addition, we're going to discuss her book titled Hooked, A Concise Guide to the Underlying Mechanics of Addiction and Treatment for Patients, families, and providers. And that website for her book is PodestaMD.com. Welcome, Dr. Podesta. Thank you, Lisa. So great to be here. It's so wonderful to have you. How are you today? I am well. Uh, I am doing well. I am uh, just finishing up my day with patients. Had some really wonderful Wonderful patients come to my practice today, and so uh, just kind of decompressing from that. Sure. Well, here's a here's a transition for sure in our time together, yeah. and I'm really excited to hear what you have to offer. And one of the most basic questions that I have for you that I shared before we came live is, is who do you and your team work with, and how do you help people, just most generally? Yeah, it's it's a little bit complex because I have so many, uh, I, I treat so many types of people, but I treat people that are motivated. I treat people that have hit some point in their life that they want to make a big change. And I treat people that are going to be able to be adherent to some of the protocols that I need to do to help them get well. So I, I think that probably goes for most people, but most type of practitioners, you know, you would prefer to be able to treat someone that's motivated and able to stick to the program but not everybody's able to do so. So um, my, you know, I utilize, like you mentioned, a lot of techniques that are non-traditional, but that are evidence-based that might not be purely pharmaceutical. As a psychiatrist, I like to, you know, I want to heal the brain. I want to give some cognitive enhancements. I want to improve people's mood, anxiety profile, sleep, some of the most common things. But also as an addiction specialist, I want to help people get off of their drugs and feel well, not just be absent and sober, but feel well, mm. which is why the extra layer of adherence is necessary. Yes. And you, what I was reading up about you, you were a massage therapist in your past, correct? Out in California yes. when you were coming up My in your own life. development? Yeah, so I was, um, I, I moved to Northern California when I was about 18, 19, not really with the plan to go to any, to do anything, just really just to move, get out of Houston, try something new, kind of see the world, see California at least, which was very worldly for me coming from Texas. So I got yeah. there, um, I have family in Northern California, I got there and uh, was kind of living the life, working in restaurants and and my father has uh, trained in massage therapy. And so when I was young, I was introduced to a very holistic mindset of wellness and of treatment, especially physiological treatment. So, um, so it, wasn't, it wasn't foreign to me. And there was one of the best schools in the country right there in uh, Emeryville, yeah. California. So there I went and um, began working as a massage therapist at the age of 20, I think, 2021. 20, Okay. And um, and so I had a practice there while I decided to go to um, undergraduate and finish that up where I went to Northern California to Mills College. And that all fed me and led me into kind of the science and 
physiological physiological and behavior science in combination. So I worked in genetics for a while, which I loved. Mm, and then that mm-hmm. led me to want to be more involved in the whole thing and, uh, you know, brain and body. And so the choice was, you know, physical therapy school or medical school. So I went to medical school, University of Southern California. Go Trojans. Yes. Yes. You know, uh, I might be jumping around, but there are a lot of things that I really like about the way you work and what you bring to psychiatric treatment, addictions, treatment. And one of them in your book, Hooked, that I want to talk about is you talk about the stigma and the guilt and shame that individuals feel uh, around hiding their addiction and or psychiatric disorder and needing accountability partners to heal. And I wonder, can you talk to us about this? Yeah, I mean, pretty much any brain disorder, whether it's something that is impairing cognition, whether it's something that's impairing attention, like attentional disorders, uh, depression, for sure, addiction, absolutely. Those are all, you know, the between the brain and the psyche, and they're all mixed up and shame and guilt come with so much of them. And I remember hearing, I think it was, uh, I think it was a, a president's wife who had suffered from depression. I remember when I was maybe 16 or 18, I heard her on the, on a, on the 60 minutes saying that she wouldn't, if someone offered her a magic wand to heal her depression, even though she wanted it really badly, she didn't have the energy or want to open up enough about it to reach forward and admit and grab that magic wand. So even if you had something that was so easy, your brain, the very organ that needs the help is impairing your ability to get the help partially because of shame, guilt, stigma, and isolation. So I'm going to just go deep. We've, we, you know, we've, we have a a good uh, 45 minutes or hour in front of us, but I'm just going to jump right into the dopamine and serotonin. Uh, related to depression and anxiety and all of the chemistry related to addiction. And, you know, when you have shame and guilt, you isolate. When you have shame and guilt, when you feel shame, when you feel less than, it's actually a relationship to the amount of dopamine and dopamine receptors and dopamine tone in your brain. So if you have the a constant nagging to feel this feeling that you're having, it's actually decreasing the amount of dopamine in the brain. And so as in my book, I talk about this because when a family member is dealing with some, a loved one with depression or with addiction and they try to punish them or they try to, you know, make them feel less than it is worsening. It helps worsen the depression or the, the addiction of the feelings of the cravings. It helps worsen it because Shame, punishment, decreased dopamine in the victim. Mm-hmm. So lifting people up and being, you know, helping people get to their brain chemistry, get so that their brain chemistry can be resilient. That's what I try to do. Yes. You also talk in your book, you address some really basic questions that all of us think, but I, I also, that we feel like we should know the answers to. For example, addiction, what is it? And why do some people get addic- addicted and others don't? Can you talk to us about those? Sure. Things? And, you know, this is, this is true for all, uh, like, um, you know, all brain stuff. 
not exactly the same for each different brain disorder. But when I'm talking about addiction, I'm talking about low dopamine for most people. Okay. So when I'm talking about when I'm talking about depression, I might be talking about low serotonin and dopamine okay. tone. Anxiety, we're talking about a kind of a messed up GABA glutamate tone, all neurotransmitters that are responsible for wellness when they're in the right place and the right amount. So I'm not saying go get more dopamine, but let's get your dopamine steady state in the right amount in the right place. So mm-hmm. when, so why do people get addicted? What is addiction? Well, addiction is a chronic relapsing disease of the reward cycle of the brain. That's the American site of addiction medicine definition. That's the American Psychiatric Association uh, uh, definition. So it's a chronic relapsing disease of the reward cycle, i.e. the dopamine reward cycle of the brain. So it's the part in the midbrain, kind of in like the lizard brain and the, and the, also the part of the brain that's related to emotions and impulse and Freud would say it. So it's, it's a, it's a hijacked amount of resilience in the it, if we want to get Freudian. Yes. The impulse. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that makes it so that, you know, so then, then the person with addiction looks compulsive, looks like they, you know, doing, they're doing things despite bad consequences. You know, they, they look like they are in bad shape. They're probably doing bad things at some point in their addiction, which is why we have such a stigma against it, because mm-hmm. there are people that ultimately end up doing bad things or negative things or things that are not health forward for their family, for their friends, for jobs, for their lives. So we have this negative, this negative uh, affiliation with people with addiction. So that's what addiction is. What addiction is not is someone deciding to do a bad thing and then becoming uh, addicted and hooked and then being a bad person because they choose to be a bad person. Yes. So that is not addiction stigma, right? Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so, so why do some people, well, why do some people develop diabetes type two and some people don't? Why do some people develop diabetes type one and some people don't? Well, diabetes type one is straight up a very clear uh, inherited trait that's genetic and people can't make, can't process their glucose well. So they have to start taking insulin early on in their lives. That could happen with addiction too, not with glucose or insulin, but that could be like someone inherited like an opiate receptor from mom and a methylation problem from dad and they they get an injury in high school during football and they take an opiate and bam, they're hooked on day one because they're highly susceptible. Other people might have some predilection genetically. And then other things that make people not resilient, which is stress, trauma, especially, especially abuse, especially mm-hmm. childhood events. You know, we talk about ACEs, the um, adverse childhood events, mm-hmm. abuse, trauma, sexual abuse, things like that, um, bullying in early childhood. And that makes people low dopamine and their dopamine system kind of lower. It makes them look more uh, depressed. It makes them have less ability to not get hijacked by the drug if they end up in a position where they're taking a drug. Well, I'm thinking even Dr. Podesta being the brain in hypervigilance and hyperarousal, that it's, it's kind of shot that there's these neurochemicals burst coursing through the brain, even when there's not danger. And, and that 
takes a toll physiologically and and looking for a coping mechanism, looking for a, a way to feel better. Yeah. Would you, is that accurate totally. as well? So, yeah, absolutely. So what you're talking about is like this, this trauma response, which is the fight or flight, you know, you end up with a whole bunch of adrenaline and cortisol, but then what happens after that, that causes some damage in cells and brain cells and ways that the cycles work, but it also causes fatigue and people look for some way to address that. And sometimes if they're given the ability to, you know, start drugs young, they might reach for that and it might not give them any, it might not make them feel high or energetic like some people do that have certain genetic polymorphisms or certain mutations in their opiate receptor in particular, but it might just make them numb out so they don't have to mm. face the day. And yeah. so some people get addicted because of the trauma without even any genetics, but because of trauma, some people get addicted to lots of different things from opiates to methamphetamine to cocaine to marijuana, other things. And so, you know, we have, we have some, um, some evidence that, that trauma definitely changes brain chemistry. Yes. We have lots of evidence. Um, but we also have evidence that even without trauma, someone who has the genetic setup for addiction is if they introduce a drug, they can get hooked really quickly. So for yeah. those, for my patients, like I have some patients that, you know, mom is mom is the sole survivor, her husband or, or the child's father overdose of heroin, for example. And, and mom is in recovery from alcohol and heroin. And, but they, but, two children. And so these are, you know, that's ripe for having a, a predilection for addiction, even if they have a wonderful, I mean, obviously a, a loss of a father is a trauma in and of itself, but mm -hmm. even if they have a, a wonderful and healthy and safe and non-chaotic upbringing, they still inherited something from mom and something from dad. And so we just have to be real vigilant about making sure that, that if drugs are introduced, that there's lots, I mean, and I'm talking about like, you know, an opiate after a sports injury, even. Is right. Introduced. Yeah, that somebody gets injured and, and goes to get the, the prescribed treatment and then becomes addicted to the medication because there's a there's also the byproduct of it causing them to feel good emotionally. That's yeah, it, it sounds yeah, like that's like what you're talking about. Yeah. And so not only is it but it's also so for those it's so interesting because some people have a um, based on genetics, some people get energy from opiates, and so your listeners were, you know, probably about a quarter of your listeners that have had taken opiates for a surgery or a dental something. A quarter of them are nodding their head, like, "Oh yeah, that's right, I got energy from opiates." And the other three quarters are like, "What are you talking about? Made me fall asleep. It, you know, gave me headache. I hated it." So some people get energy from opiates, and that's based on polymorphism, which is inherited. And so when someone but also some people, you know, numb out their mental anguish with pain pills and with other things, even when they're prescribed. Yes. And so it's a very, it's a very complex and difficult disease state. But I can uh, assure you that there's lots of treatment. And, you know, and a lot of what you do in the therapy world is treat the, treat the forebrain, treat the thinking brain and, and help boost the dopamine and serotonin yes. tone and help reduce the stigma. And then there's medicines and there's supplements and there's herbs and such that are really useful to help with the chemical part. 
Well, I was really so curious about that, Dr. Podesta, because you do treat using er herbal supplements and, and non-pharmaceutical type treatments. And I really wanted to hear more about that because that's why I've referred people to you because of, of your knowledge base in this area. Yeah. A lot of people don't want to be on a medicine, you know? Yeah. For someone, uh, you know, for someone that's coming off of some severe like opiates that um, where a relapse could be deadly, I do want them on some sort of medicine to block their opiate receptor, whether mm -hmm. or to cover their opiate receptor, whether it's something like methadone or buprenorphine, which are turning the opiate receptor on or buprenorphine turning it partially on or um, naltrexone, which is turning the opiate receptor off. It's just a safety tool yes. to kind of like wearing a helmet when you're, you know, after you've had a major injury and you get back out on your bicycle, put that helmet on, you know, for safety. Right. And, but, um, but I also use lots of non-pharmaceuticals for depression, for mood, for anxiety, for, for cravings, things, you know, mm. all sorts of things. And my practice, I also have two acupuncturists that partner with me in the building. They're not um, traditionally in my practice, but we work very closely and I have a nutritionist who helps me out a lot as well. So I use a lot of supplements and um, micronutrients to treat all sorts of cognitive issues um, and, you know, feelings and mood and anxiety and sleep. Those are kind of the most common after I get beyond people with in withdrawal from heroin or something. I or withdrawal from alcohol, which I see a lot too. The mm -hmm. main requests are to help me with sleep, help me with focus, help me with mood, help me with anxiety. So, Dr. Podesta, when, when you talk in your work about the importance of getting a really detailed family history, a clinical history, and an emotional history and on people, and, and I heard you being interviewed talking about the more information you have about a person, therefore, the more you can support them, which makes a lot of sense. So when, come, when someone comes in, how does this often happen? Are people cold calling or, or and yeah. making appointments? Just so our listeners know in case they're interested for themselves or know someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And I am based in New Orleans. So um, but I do sometimes, a nutritionist also does some health coaching without being engaging as a patient. I do see consults here in New Orleans. And so my main, my private practice, the one that is the boutique that we're talking mostly about that I have an alchemy of, uh, I have a, a apothecary of supplements and botanicals and work with the acupuncturist, nutritionist, massage therapist, psychotherapist. So that's my main practice that I'm talking about. So this practice is, um, you know, a phone call or an email, uh, it's on the website to inquire. Uh, and then my assistant makes a phone call back and, sets up, and, you know, gets a whole bunch of information, kind of seeing what the chief complaint might be, what someone is under, is undergoing in treatment right now, what they need, what they think they're missing. And then, you know, the logistics of, you know, setting up a, a, an appointment and such. And then, um, when I see the patient, I usually start with, uh, sometimes I'll start with labs beforehand, depending on the circumstances. If it's a consult from someone flying in from out of town, I'll get labs beforehand. Because I want information, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of brain functioning um, is screwed up if you have nutritional deficiencies, mm -hmm. or if you have certain thyroid issues, or if you have you know, certain other things like anemia. And so if I can get, gather that information, then I can treat it to help whatever the symptoms are. So, but usually I see the patient first, 
about an hour to hour 15 minute appointment to just start gathering information, going through a robust history of the current illness or current symptoms, really digging deep and understanding when those symptoms began, what your baseline childhood was like, what the what your prepubescent and postpubescent mood, mind, anxiety, et cetera, was like, how people identify. The reason I ask those questions is because it helps me understand what the baseline chemistry is. It's I'm yeah. I, I'm like I'm not, I'm not doing therapy. So I'm not going to be doing, you know, working on those triggers per se. I might encourage a therapist to work with that, but I'm trying to understand that I'm, I'm basically looking, you know, I don't have a stethoscope as a psychiatrist. So my clinical interview and my labs are my stethoscope, you know, I'm trying to yeah. get some detailed information. And then family history is so important. And, you know, being a geneticist in my background, family history tells me a whole bunch of, you know, I'll draw out like a full family tree and kind of, you know, put certain traits and kind of do the whole uh, the whole um, Mendelian genetics in my mind, you know? And then a really important thing is, especially for people with addiction, but as even people without addiction or any addiction history, if someone's tried some substances in their life, you know, many people have dabbled, I can know why cocaine made that, or I can, if, if someone tried cocaine and they can tell me about that, about whether it gave them anxiety or caused them to feel focused and up or you yeah. know, made them feel happy or made them feel sad. If I can know that, then I get a little glimpse into some of their neurochemistry in their midbrain. If I can know if alcohol causes someone to decrease their social anxiety and feel more comfortable in their skin, or it makes them tired, or it makes them belligerent, I can get a a little glimpse into what their GABA and glutamate system is because that's where the alcohol hits. And I, I asked that question for most categories of substances, licit and illicit, from pain pills to ecstasy to, you know, and it helped me formulate a reason because I'm not about treating the, the, I don't, I appreciate the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't tell me anything about a root cause. So right. what I'm doing right now, when I'm asking these questions, like I said, it's like my stethoscope. It's actually for like my brain biopsy. Yeah. Which we don't do. But yeah. I can get deep into <laughs> understanding the neurochemistry. And then I can actually treat what I, I can try to treat. I'm not 100% successful, but I have pretty good success rates. I can try to treat the root cause as opposed to treating, let's say, a... Um, uh, treating, throwing a serotonin reuptake inhibitor at a patient because they have the, the, they meet criteria for depression. And so you put an antidepressant and then they get a side effect or, you know, but I want to understand what the root cause is and treat it. Well, and I think any listener who has been to a traditional psychiatrist and myself included is really appreciating the depth that you go to and really wanting to understand the, the biopsychosocial aspects of a person, but yet also really that personal connection as well, that, that just how deep you go and wanting to, to know and learn so that you can best help and treat the person in front of you. It's way beyond what is usually 
done where it's just addressing symptoms and giving something to treat the symptom, like the flower growing out of the ground, but not treating the soil. And and you're treating the soil to grow a healthy flower, to grow a healthy plant. And it's so valuable and so important today. It really is. And we, you know, we know a lot about depression now and even postpartum depression. Or what about like, what about pregnancy associated things where we can't use any medicine? Mm. So OBs are really talented at this, at trying to treat and think outside the box and think about things that can be really, um, that can be true antidepressants. There's something that a a colleague of mine, Dr. Friedman, uh, Marlene Friedman, an OB up at, um, up at, in Harvard, she recently published a paper about a supplement. It's a medical food, but it's called Enbrace, E-N-B-R-A-C-E. And it has a whole bunch of, um, of nutritional components, including an activated form of methyl, an activated form of folic acid, including some B12, B1, B, um, B3, zinc, um, DHA, EPA. So it has this nice little pill that is okay. In fact, it's indicated because it's a prenatal pill, but it treated depression in partum and postpartum women without using a medicine. That's wonderful. You know, and so this is such an important piece of the picture is being able to treat with, with treat the root cause because a lot of patients that have, um, that have depression have what's called undermethylated depression. And so they, their methylation system, which is a, a system that helps clear homocysteine, the, um, which is a heart disease marker and the methylation system helps bank, uh, serotonin and dopamine. So, so a fair Pines- amount of people. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. You first, and then I'll jump in. Oh yeah, a fair amount of people that have some genetic deficiencies or even some nutritional deficiencies that aren't genetic, um, they benefit from boosting the methylation cycle. And by boosting that in and of itself, you see great results for treating depression without using a medication or using a medication in conjunction. And I've got tons of stuff about like that, not just that. Yeah. And I'm thinking talking about nutritional supplementation is the perfect segue into me giving a word about my sponsor to take a little break. And I'll be right back to you, Dr. Podesta. Perfect. So as a way to introduce my sponsor, ATP Science and their product called Gut Right, I'm going to share a personal story about attending the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival the past two weekends and eating foods I don't normally eat, a lot of fried foods, a lot of uh, heavy sugary foods and drinking, you know, more drinks than, than typical for me. And I felt really uncomfortable. I felt bloated. I didn't feel like myself. And I learned from ATP Science that there are living creatures in our gut system called Firmicutes. And Firmicutes are, for a more layman's term, they are gut bugs that control our energy production. They actually slow down our metabolism, cause inflammation, and can affect the size and shape of our bodies. And the sugars that we eat feed these gut bugs, these formicutes, and cause them to multiply. So we lose nutrients that are polyphenols. These are healthy nutrients, also known as mod biotics, which control and balance our gut chemistry. And many of you may know that Hippocrates himself said that all disease begins in the gut. So what do we do to support 
healthy digestion, healthy gut chemistry, so that we don't bloat or feel gassy? How do we solve this problem? ATP Science, uh, their most popular product used by thousands is called Gut Right. And it kills off the firmicutes, the bad gut bugs that cause inflammation and bloating and replaces nutritionally the missing polyphenols or modbiotics I mentioned that balance our gut chemistry and help maintain our homeostasis. Gut Right is vegan. It's usable by all ages of people in your family, and it is uniquely formulated by ATP Science. They were founded in 2011, and their mission is to bring the world the most trusted and scientifically proven supplements, education, and support. So as my listener, you get a 20% discount off of your first order, as well as free shipping when you use the coupon code ATT, which stands for All Things Therapy. I invite you to go check them out today. The website is atpscience.com forward slash get gut right and use that coupon code ATT. The offer is limited to the first 100 people that respond, and I am grateful to ATP Science for becoming my sponsor and supporting my work, and I encourage you to check out their website and their products, especially Gut Right. Okay, Dr. Podesta, um, we, yes. I'm going to jump right in and comment yeah. on all of that because okay. um, I'm actually checking out ATP Science website, and yeah. you know what you said about the gut bugs. A lot of people don't know, but there's lots of research, so much research on something called the microbiome, which is the billions of bugs that live in your gut and on your skin. And if you can imagine, so about in each one of us, about the number of bugs that are little bacteria, they're teeny, they're microscopic, super microscopic, about the number of bacteria that live in our gut are about the same number of humans that live on the earth. Are you so serious? You can, yes. Oh Isn't that crazy? Wow. So it is. you can imagine how much the way that um, communities interact with the earth and the ecosphere, that's how important our gut bugs are. Okay. Thank you for adding that. Thinking about that. I've been, yeah, I've been educating myself and, and it's like, wow, I didn't realize that there are these gut bugs that are so prevalent in our digestive well, system. Yeah. And so well, part of my interview is asking about, not just about whether someone has current medical issues, but asking about things that lend me to understand whether they might have a disrupted gut function, not whether they have I don't care if they, I mean, I do care if they have I, IBS or Crohn's disease, irritable bowel, those are very right. important. But even if they took, what if, what if mom gave them, mom was a nurse and gave them antibiotics three times a year for their first 10 years. Mm. How does that affect the bugs in the gut? It changes the chemistry. It changes. And so importantly, you know, there's more serotonin in the gut than there is in the brain. There's more dopamine in the gut than wow. there is in the brain. So okay. because the bacteria interact with that, so we kind of think about, you know, kind of, we have the words gut-brain axis. So yes. we, basically the gut is driving the brain. So all these bugs have to be, I keep saying like in balance, they have to have good tone because they're driving the, the chemistry that's affecting the brain and the way we feel and the way we think and that brain fog I'm sure some of your listeners have, have um, tried to do like one of the, an, either an elimination, elimination diet or yes. a candida diet. They talk about the 
right cancer is a fungus that lives in the gut and there's a die-off that occurs. And so when the die-off is happening, the candida is releasing all of its all of its you know micronutrients are releasing all of its toxins really, and therefore you feel like crap. You feel like you've got a cold or flu, but without having a cold or flu for like a week. That's how important the gut affects the brain. And thank you so for that. Using, yeah. And you're cutting out a little bit, Doctor Podesta. Oh, just so you know. Sorry. Okay. That's okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay, I'm good. Thank you I for that. Better. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You know, so, going back to, do you want to continue with something? And then I'll, no, I'll ask ahead. you a question. So going no, back to, to your work and things that I found, I thought it, you were so spot on when you talk about how the medical profession has become so compartmentalized and how at your center at Podesta Wellness, you are providing in-house so many complimentary supportive services to treat the whole person to try to, to try to combat that compartmentalization of medicine. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, uh, it, it really is. I mean, you have to go to a neurologist for neuro things. You have to go to a psychiatrist for psych things. My father-in-law is currently seeing a urologist, a, nephro- a urologist, nephrologist, um, neurologist, psychiatrist, maybe um, endocrinologist, you know, and, and everybody is making their own treatment plan and sometimes not looking at the root cause, but looking only at the symptoms. Or if one of them is, is doing one thing, the other might be doing something that might undermine it if they're not on the same treatment program and, tre- and don't have each other's mm-hmm. notes and knowledge. So, you know, even, even a multidisciplinary team can not be as potent for the patient or as powerful for the patient as what I call a transdisciplinary team. So multidisciplinary is like you've got multi, you, you know, you've got multiple people all seeing the patient separately and then making a treatment plan and then kind of telling the other one what they're doing. And then um, interdisciplinary is kind of more integrative where you have you know, multiple people, maybe um, I'm telling the other person what the treatment plan should be. And so one person's kind of leading, but transdisciplinary is where you do the workup for the patients and you, that each, each different specialty does the workup for the patient, sometimes together and sometimes separately. And then you formulate a treatment plan together. I don't get the opportunity to do the transdisciplinary medicine like I would like to, just because my, um, you know, my, my functional medicine doctor of choice is not in my office and, and certain patients don't have access to being able to see all the different types of specialties, but we do try to aim for that. And so I think it's just so much more robust and holistic when you have all of the, you know, you, you don't have, you don't have um, everybody kind of fighting against each other in their treatment. Yes. Yes. And for our listeners to know very clearly, you are an addiction specialist, yet you also treat people with coping with anxiety and depression without the substance abuse disorders, correct? That is correct. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. What What would you say is the division of that? Like, is it is it marked the division of, you know, non-substance abuse disorders versus? With- so, um, yeah, it's a it's a. It's a little bit confusing because I, I mean, I specialize in kind of 
most things that come through the door, you know? And yeah. And it's, yeah. It, it, so it basically is just people wanting to get well and yeah. some people want to get well and they want to get off of their medicine that they've been taking for 15 years that they still have depression and anxiety, but they're on an antidepressant and a mood stabilizer yes. and they have sexual side effects and they've gained weight and they want to get off their medicine. And some people have been taking, you know, pain pills and, and um, benzodiazepines or heroin or, you know, methamphetamine for years and they want to get off of that. So I can do both. And I might use other medicine to help that, or I might use non-medicine, or I might use lots of other, you know, tricks and gut health and, and methylation support and um, magnesium, lots and lots and lots of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Um, so all of those I use in just to treat whatever comes through the door. You know, I'm also, I treat sometimes with a little bit of thyroid to help boost energy and, and decrease yeah. fatigue and depression. I treat with... Um, I treat uh, with other kind of cognitive enhancers and I'm having a lot of people that come to me with fear of cognitive decline because they might have a uh, family history of let's say Alzheimer's or something like that. And so I can look at what they have and look at some of their genetics and look at some of their histories and, and susceptibilities and hope. I don't have, you know, I don't have a vision into the future, but hope that we're doing some good prevention. Yes. And what kind of response have you gotten from your book? I'm so curious to know on Hooked, a yes. concise guide to I the think... underlying mechanics of addiction and treatment for patients, families, and providers. You know, I have, I don't, I don't even track my sales or anything, but I just <laughs> back and I, I, just, I wrote it, you know, for exactly that. I wrote it so I could give it really so I could, I could stop saying the same thing over and over and, and then just like share it with a patient or a family member. Um, yeah. And so, and and then I give it to my medical students and residents and um, my nursing students that rotate with me. So, and um, and I speak at conferences all over the country. I'm speaking yes. on Saturday in Chicago, and so I'll be speaking at a, a conference called Psych Congress. And then, in a couple of weeks, I'm speaking at a conference called um, uh, the Institute for Functional Medicine. And um, so, you know, people are very interested in learning more, and so I'll just direct them to the book and, and a lot of people give me great feedback on just it being a simple kind of simple, um, but academic enough, but without like going too detailed into the 800 pages that are my addiction manuals, you know? Yes. You know, something I like about the way you practice as well, and we have a couple extra minutes to go, um, is, is that the utilization of harm reduction and treatment. And I was fortunate to meet Pat Denning, who wrote yeah. a book. And do you know Dr. Dr. Pat Denning? I do. Okay. Yeah. I, I actually, when I was in social work school, I discovered her work and I flew to San Francisco and just made an appointment to sit and talk to her about her work. And she was a mentor to me. And I love her book, Over the Influence, which, which reminded me when you were speaking earlier, when a patient comes in and tells you about their, say, substance of choice, be it cocaine versus alcohol versus marijuana, you can start to kind of diagnose and see inside their brain what receptors might be, what, you know, might be deficient and, and even what kind of issues they might have gone through in childhood, trauma versus something else. And so can you talk to us about harm reduction? Because I found it so valuable with a lot of people. 
Yeah, and you know the thing is, harm reduction is a harm reduction as a term is a philosophy that I, that meets like certain like ten or fifteen different bullet points. But basically, it's it's not stigmatizing the patient. It's basically you know accepting the patient where they're at and then preventing any further harm that could be either um, a public health issue, a crime issue. Uh, you know, for someone that is using drugs, continue to see them while they're still using to keep their foot in the door, so that when they're ready for treatment, they or when they're you know, when they're even if they're not ready for treatment or change, that they're still alive and they're still getting help. So, uh, you know, many times I'll encourage patients seeing me for abstinence-based therapy, which I do have some clinics that are completely for addiction and abstinence. But if they're seeing me for wellness and they're still doing things that are undermining their wellness from using drugs marijuana included, which marijuana, even though it is legal in some states and medically, there is medical marijuana in many states, we still see uh, negative brain effects for most pa- for many patients. Mm-hmm. So encouraging patients to decrease or stop their usage, but even if they're using, unless they're, you know, unless they're doing something like not showing up to appointments or like I had one patient belligerent towards my assistant, so that doesn't work for me. But there's yeah. no other reason that I would kick a patient out. I would never fire a patient for having a, a, a inappropriate drug screen or, or not being adherent yeah. to what I think is the best thing for them. I would never. And so I try and in my conferences, I try really hard to share that with, with people because a lot of people, you know, they get, quote unquote, a dirty drug screen, which I don't like to call dirty because dirty is the opposite of clean and patients are not clean or dirty. Um, they're yes. appropriate and inappropriate. Um, so, you know, but a lot of practitioners feel the need to kick people out or fire them when mm. they are in a, when they have a quote unquote dirty drug screen. So I'm not a fan of that. I try and discourage that in the practitioners, um, but we still see it all the time. So, you know, harm reduction is one way of looking at that one way of kind of um, framing that and having a, a lens to, to be, a, be comfortable describing it. Yes. And I think it can, like you're saying, help you're meeting someone right where they are and not causing them further shame and stigma and going back into that darkness of, of use alone. And it can be a bridge to, to full That's healing, right. to full wholeness yeah. and, and health. Full wholeness and health. I love it. So what do you want to leave us with? I'm curious, what is next for you? I read about you. You want to expand. What are some, how would you like to what else should listeners know? Because you offer yeah. so much and you speak and present so yeah. often that you're just a, a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. And I, I would like to, um, I'd like to very much, um, really would like to incorporate a little bit more of the primary care aspect, which I is outside of the scope of my practice, but I would like to have a partner that could be within my walls or next door to me that would be able to offer that and we could do the transdisciplinary team medicine to include primary care or maybe, maybe OB as well. I mean, I work a lot. I work with pregnant women with addiction very closely, but I um, also work in the menopausal and perimenopausal range. And I would like very much to expand that. Um, I'm very excited about um, transmagnetic stimulation, which I've been trained in and I'm thinking we might open a clinic with that in mind and also doing whole wellness um, because there's an, a whole slew of people that are that could use it and that have um, treatment-resistant depression that could do well on that. And then I am um, I 
ended up not joining the MAPS project, but the mm-hmm. um, but there is whole plant research going on here in New Orleans, in LA, all over the country, uh, both by both Compass and MAPS. And so it's whole plant research on utilizing um, MDMA and psilocybin for the purposes of uh, treatment-resistant depression or PTSD. And so yes. I can't wait for those to for those studies to come to fruition. I know that the results will be wildly successful. Um, and hopefully foresee that getting uh, FDA approved at some point in the near future. Absolutely. Well, and what about your own personal expansion from your existing practice? I've read that that is something you're interested in in doing here in New Orleans and elsewhere even. Well, because I do so much, I mean, more, it would be more like doing consulting um, and, and, uh, having people fly in for the initial consult and then being able to do uh, follow-up. And I've, I've had several patients that have done that. With me and the primary care doc that I work with, Dr. Mather, um, his, we've done some, uh, some long-form uh, evaluations and interviews with people from out of the state or out of the country in order to, and then follow up with them uh, tele- telemedicine-wise as a consult, not as a, not as a pract- not, you know, not as a contracted uh, prescriber. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, I would love to work yeah. with you when you expand and be a part of your team when you're looking to to do that. Absolutely, Lisa. Of course, you're you're. I've definitely um, thought about that a lot. I think you have such a, a wildly successful way of helping patients, and I appreciate the podcast too. It's great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Podesta, for being with us. And is the best way for people to reach you through PodestaWellness.com? That's correct. PodestaWellness.com and the phone number and uh, initial email address are on there. Okay. And I want listeners to know too, they can they can read and order your book from PodestaMD.com also. It's also available on Amazon. Just look up Hooked, H-O-O-K-E-D, and my last name, Podesta, P-O-D-E-S-T-A. And um, if you just look up Hooked, you'll get hooked on phonics. So you probably won't <laughs> respond to that for addiction. Maybe, but um, but yeah. So it's hooked on Amazon and with my last name, Dr. Podesta. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Such a pleasure, Lisa. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. You're welcome. You too. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. That concludes my show today with Dr. Arwen Podesta of PodestaWellness.com. I hope all of you have the most fantastic week, and I'm sending all my love. Bye bye. Indeed, listening is the new reading. With Audible, you can listen to an unlimited amount of books at home, in your car, at the gym, anywhere on the go. With over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from, for you, the listener of All Things Therapy, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download and a month-long subscription for you to try them out. Visit audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy now and enjoy. Do you want to help yourself and friends find a purpose in life? Then you are in the right place and be a part of the crowdfunding campaign of patreon.com forward slash all things therapy with Lisa Tahir as she initiates a one-on interaction with inspiring authors, healing experts, and spiritual directors. Join the League of Heroes of this generation by contributing your quota between a dollar up to a hundred dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. Let's make the world free of suicide, poverty, depression, 
and in all, make the world a better place for everyone. Listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on LA Talk Radio.